This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 159, Why Work with a Bank on Yourself Professional. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so glad to have you in the Not So Average Zone. Now, you know, if you're a longtime listener, a financial revolutionary, uh, that we don't often do this on the podcast where I go out on a limb and make a firm recommendation for something. I'm always interested in you doing your own due diligence and reaching your own conclusions. However, this episode is different. Today, I will be officially endorsing, wait for it, that's right, my buddy Larry, the heart surgeon. That's right, he may not have had the best time in medical school, in class time anyway, but he always had great times on the weekends. Yes, Larry, he's the one that was the first to leave class every day and the last to leave the bar every night. Even so, he did in fact graduate medical school, and he did in fact become a heart surgeon. Now, technically, he was last in his class, but ask yourself, what do you call a doctor who graduates last in his class? Wait for it. That's right. You call him doctor. So, with that, you can feel confident under his knife as he operates on your precious heart. His drinking buddies, they're somewhat sloppy when they join him in the operating room for anesthesia. They don't always do everything right. We've even seen him accidentally drop some bottle caps into the body cavity from his patients and making jokes about it with x-rays that they keep on their walls in the office. Regardless, Larry's expertise being now exactly six weeks out of medical school and having almost three full operations under his belt should make you feel confident that he can take care of your heart under the most important of circumstances, just like any other professional. In fact, I'll go on here on my endorsement of our friend. Larry's also pretty astute at plumbing. So if you've got a problem with grout in the bathroom, he can help you with that. If you've got foundation issues in your house, heck, if if your children need some help tutoring for the SAT, Larry is your guy. He won't steer you wrong. He may not have any official credentials in these areas, but guys, really, he's trademarked a few of his own credentials, and he's even had them printed out on an old dot matrix printer, and he's got them hanging around his office, which is basically a coat closet. And because he's researched on Google everything he needs to know about all these areas of expertise, he also went the extra mile and watched a few YouTube videos. I think he's going to be an expert in the areas that matter most to you. He'll do everything in his power to be the excellent expert you're hoping for, whether you realized you needed his services or not. So there you have it. (laughs) Of course, I'm being entirely facetious here. Larry has no right to hold that scalpel or a plunger for that matter. Not all heart surgeons are created equal and guys, neither are financial professionals. Much like heart surgery, your finances cannot be undone. Once you're 14 years into your retirement, let's say, just like you're, let's say you're 14 minutes into a heart surgery, there is no going back. You have to make the right choice and work with the right professional, choosing the right kind of expertise you want to have as you put your life literally with heart surgeons in their hands, or even financially with financial professionals in their hands. 
When you work with someone who has letters after their name or a credential in their email signature, you have to know that they have the backing of the kind of standard that you hope to employ in your own financial life. Now, working with a professional who's been credentialed by a third party is in some ways, as I look at it, an extension of your own integrity. Here's what I mean. If you'd put your body just under any old surgeon's knife in the operating room, you might not have much respect for your own body or your own life. If it's under Larry's knife, do you really respect the outcome or your own body? Conversely, if you make the effort to go to the top heart surgeon in the country or even the world, it is clear from that action that your commitment to having you seek out the best value for your life shows that you value your life, that you'd pay whatever it took to get the best surgeon. Now, there are an infinite number of financial designations in the universe of money. Investopedia says that there's over 200 designations available to financial professionals, all with varying requirements and degrees of industry reputation. I'll give you just a few. Just wet or whistle a bit. The Certified Public Accountant, or CPA, that's going to be pretty well known among the general public. CPAs are generally known for their role in income tax prep, but they can also specialize in auditing, bookkeeping, managerial accounting, lots of cool stuff. And candidates for CPAs have to complete 150-hour semester hours of education. So it's not a small task. What about Chartered Financial Analysts, or CFAs? Less well-known, but the designation really measures and certifies a person's competence and integrity in analyzing financial markets. These folks that often earn this designation become portfolio managers or analysts for various types of financial institutions. So that's the CFA. What about enrolled agents? They're going to be the highest credentialed IRS awardees. They're going to be people who have obtained and must adhere to the highest ethical standards and complete 72 hours of continuing education every three years. So I don't even know doctors that have to do this sort of continuing education. But what about the Certified Financial Planner designation, or CFP? The Certified Financial Planner designation is one of the most widely recognized credentials in the financial planning industry. Applicants for the CFP have to have a bachelor's degree and complete university-level coursework through a CFP board registered program. There's only a few of these in the United States. Coursework covers professional conduct, regulations, general principles of financial planning, education planning, risk management, insurance planning, investment planning, tax planning, retirement savings, income planning, and of course, estate planning as well. Phew, that's a lot. Students have to take a board exam, 170 questions broke over several hours each. Other requirements include 4,000 to 6,000 professional experience hours, continuing education every two years. That is the CFP. I am proud to hold that designation and consider myself a member of the CFP network across the country. We even have a blockchain encrypted certification of my CFP, which you can view in our show notes. It's pretty cool. So that did take me a few years, and me and my wife, really, a few years to get that designation. I say my wife because she was very much a part of me being successful in all that study time every night. Now, with the industry flooded with 200-plus designations, how are you going to know which ones are worth paying attention to and which ones were simply printed on somebody's dot matrix printer? I usually break these designations down into two categories. 
One, generalist designations, and the other, specialist designations. Here's what I mean. For example, a certified financial planner designation is the broadest and the deepest designation you can get in the personal financial planning space. No other designation requires as much heavy lifting or ongoing commitment than the CFP does. It's truly the generalist designation that everybody in the financial industry should strive for if possible. Now, on the other hand, nobody can merely be a generalist forever if you want to be successful. Here's what I mean. If you want to work in your life to truly help people in addition to a generalist knowledge work, you really have to take on a specialty and become a true expert in that specialty. Have a broad sense of everything, but be exactly the best and in one particular corner of your industry. That doesn't just apply to finances. I mean, if you're an average shoe shiner at the airport, you might be able to barely cover the bills and always beg people for their business. But if the precise oils and methods and tools to shine aged Italian leather on the feet of top brass executives, people will fly to your destination city and seek you out the world over. So why do an episode on designations in the financial industry? Over the years, I've begun to see a number of advisors hanging their shingle, expounding on their version of the bank on yourself concept. They don't use the words bank on yourself, but they are talking about using life insurance as an asset class, using the loan feature for purchases, and some are even making up their own trademark credentials, creating, oh, bank on yourself knockoffs and spreading their misinformation around the internet and especially YouTube. That's right. I'm talking about, just Googled it, advisors. It appears anybody with a microphone and a webcam can hold themselves up there and become a financial expert overnight. Guys, let me be very clear. If your financial advisor doesn't have specialized training in properly structuring a policy designed to maximize the power of the bank on yourself concept and how to use it to become your own source of financing, or he uses the wrong company, insurance company, or the wrong product, your policy could grow much more slowly, you could lose some of the tax advantages, or both. Our research has shown that the bank on yourself concept and the kind of policy that's used to maximize the power of the concept is not even covered by standard industry training programs taken by insurance agents seeking licenses. I remember going through the insurance licensing exams and the coursework and the textbooks Bank on yourself is not brought up. Heck, paid up additions is barely mentioned. So we have found that most experienced advisors require about three years of additional training in the bank on yourself concept to be truly proficient at it. And that was my experience too, to really feel like I had a good grounding in this bank on yourself mindset and and how to design the policies properly. Took me about three years. But unfortunately, most financial advisors and even insurance agents just don't know what they don't know about bank on yourself. You may have heard the old saying, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. In my experience, man, that's often true, especially with bank on yourself. If you don't have a trained specialist helping you, it's all too likely that you won't experience the benefits that we talk about in our podcast. So where do you truly find expert help in this arena? The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services predicts that only 3,600 full-time cardiothoracic surgeons were working in 2020, which is about one 
surgeon for every 90,000 Americans. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there were over 400,000 life insurance agents in the United States in 2020. With the population at just over 328 million, that means out of the size of life insurance agents, there's about one agent for every 820 Americans. So conversely, to provide some context, there's only 200 bank-on-yourself professionals in the United States and Canada. So that means basically one bank-on-yourself professional for every 1.6 million Americans. I guess I got my workout cut out for me here. But what this means is that requests are coming in from all over the country for a referral from someone who's truly understanding and credentialed in the bank-on-yourself method, knows the ins and outs, and could act as their professional guide. And that's partly why Pamela Yellen and her team created the Bank-on-Yourself Professional Program. Much of the training in that program that I went through focuses on how the agent or financial professional can coach his or her clients through the years to become your own source of financing. Not just setting up a policy, not just buying some policy off the internet, but ultimately having a process and a philosophy that ultimately leads to one's entire lifestyle, maximizing their finances and becoming their own source of financing and maximizing their retirement income in the process. So today there are about 200 qualified financial representatives across the United States and Canada who form the core of the Bank on Yourself Professionals, which was formerly known as the Bank on Yourself Authorized Advisors Program. So each is a licensed life insurance agent who's undergone many hours of additional technical details and training on how to make these policies become a super powerful financial tool. So we're working every day to generate that kind of success that you hear about and read about in the Bank on Yourself books and hear about on our podcast. Now, that is in contrast with what I call, quote, just Googled it advisors. (laughs) So these are people who maybe they just Googled Bank on Yourself after they got your voicemail saying you'd like to come into their financial office and talk to them about bank on yourself. Hey, wait, what is this thing? Oh, wait, let me go Google that. That's what I mean by just Googled it financial advisors. Okay, so there are three issues I have with just Googled it advisors. Number one, the agent, Larry the heart surgeon, your cousin, or the guy who saw something about bank on yourself on YouTube, doesn't know what he or she needs to do to create a true bank on yourself policy. We're going to get to a list of what is needed toward the end of this episode, so you'll definitely want to stick around for the end of this episode. For example, they'd need to have a paid-up additions writer, they'd need to have non-direct recognition loans, keeping it under the MEC limit, all those things, about a dozen other requirements that we'll talk about later on. Number two, they don't have the right insurance company in their arsenal. You have to be contracted with the right companies, and there's about 1,100 life insurance companies I'm aware of in the United States, and most of them are not suited, virtually all of them are not suited for the bank-on-yourself method. So many companies I've seen are publicly traded, or other agents will recommend companies that are focused on indexed universal life contracts, which eviscerates your cash value, especially in the later years of retirement. And the third issue I take with Just Googled It advisors is that they don't have ongoing mentoring. These are not seasoned expertise professionals to help coach you. Sometimes they know less than the clients do about bank on yourself. Many rogue insurance agents skim through Nelson Nash's book or Pamela Yellen's The Bank on Yourself Revolution and think that, oh yeah, I could do this. 
From my own experience, it takes years of mentoring and feedback from some of the best in the business. And I know every week I'm on a call being mentored by some of the best in the business, people who've been doing this for decades. To become a bank on yourself professional, it's taken more effort and focus and diligence and expertise than any other designation I currently hold. That's including the CFP. I've spent more than 10,000 hours since my initial foray into the Bank on Yourself program. That's quite a rabbit hole, guys, let me tell you. When I really began to understand the concept, I've since spent 10,000 plus hours building things finally the correct way for my clients and to engineer things correctly, but also to journal, journey alongside the clients in their overall financial life to bring a sense of financial sanity and to see their goals achieved. Not every advisor does that. Let me tell you, unfortunately, that's, I wish it was the case, but it is not. I've even seen those clients out there who thought they had a bank on yourself type policy, but when I reviewed the contract and their details, I noticed the policy was growing very slowly. I'll talk more about that in a future episode. And many of the tax advantages sometimes have been taken away. Each time loans that are taken, oftentimes it can penalize or reduce the dividend. I've even unfortunately seen people who thought they had a bank on yourself policy, whole life policy, but it was a variable universal life policy tied with heavy expenses and bound up with the swings of the stock market with no guarantees of cash value accumulation. This is so different than what we set up for our clients. So in sum, out of the 200 bank on yourself professionals, you're gonna have people who've gone through and completed uh, tests, in-depth training and testing to demonstrate our competency with the concept. You're gonna find people who are taking ongoing educational classes. You know, myself, my team of associates with Lake Growth, we're all on multiple masterminds each month. We're also in an elite group of bank on yourself professionals who are part of the seven figures group and still another who are in a key learning group focused on bank on yourself for business owners, which are really offering nuanced and I think powerful business solutions for our clients around the country. These would be things like buyouts, succession planning, capital expense planning, and lots more. Lots of really cool ideas there. So we also work as bank on yourself professionals, we work under the guidance of a technical and policy design specialist team who've collectively designed tens of thousands of policies using the bank on yourself concept. I I and my associates, we work with some of the financially strongest life insurance companies in the country. We also know which companies have policies that meet all the requirements needed to maximize the power of the bank on yourself concept. Now I'm doing all this, not because I like to toot my own horn. I try not to do that very often. I really try to let our not so average financial strategies be the star of the show here on this podcast. But as I was doing some thinking about this episode, in some ways the advisor is not mutually exclusive from the bank on yourself concept. Who you have as an advisor matters as to whether or not you're in the bank on yourself concept or not. And the quality and the expertise of that advisor can, guys, it can really make all the difference. I like to think of it this way. You are the captain of your financial ship. Nobody else is. You are the captain. The bank on yourself policy might be the ship with the different components of the policy being correctly designed and engineered well by the ship's architect. But if the ship is not built correctly, sometimes you won't even know it until you're already well out at sea. 
You might notice some leaks, pools of water filling up the ship's hull. You'll notice that the engine on the boat is not pushing as fast as you'd like to go. You might notice the rudder seems to be put on backwards, pushing you in the opposite direction you want to lead to. And unfortunately, the ship's architect, of course, is way back at the port, spending the money you gave him at the bar when you got on that boat and left. You just simply can't access him or her anymore. Most insurance agents, of course, they've got good hearts, but they don't always have the information needed to build the best boat. Just because someone has good intentions does not mean I am getting on their boat that they built for me to get across the Atlantic Ocean, or heck, even allowing them access to my heart under surgery. My thoughts are really simple here today. What does it actually take to have a true bank on yourself type policy? I made a little laundry list here with the help of some other advisors to help create a query, a list of questions to ask. Or if you don't want this long laundry list, you could simply work with a bank on yourself professional and be assured that we've done all of this for you correctly and we'll only show you the bank on yourself strategy truly appropriate to your circumstance. In lieu of that, here's a couple of quick questions to ask when you're setting up one of these type policies. Is whole life insurance offered? Is what I have whole life insurance or is it universal, variable, or something else? Is the insurance company mutually owned or stock owned? Is the insurance company's customer service educated enough to help me with policy loans? Or is it going to be a nightmare every time I try to call customer service? Does the company have a high Comdex rating? I'm talking 90 plus. I want something above the 90s. And some solid financial strength to make sure that my company is going to be there the next 100 years. I've got a couple here with relation to loans. If I take a loan, will it be affecting my policy in the short and long term? Do I have non-direct recognition loans? That's the crucial amount that allows my cash value to grow, even on the cash value I borrow against. Or do I have, unfortunately, direct recognition loans, which stops the growth or slows the growth of my cash value when I borrow against the policy? What about loan interest? Will it be paid right away or at the end of the year? What about loan limitations? The insurance company, are they going to let me borrow what I want? What is the loan interest rate? Is it above industry average? Is it simple interest or is it compounding all year against me? What about dividends? Let's talk about a few questions to ask there. Is my whole life product going to pay me dividends? Is the dividend based on company performance with me participating in essence as an owner or is it merely interest sensitive based on industry competitions? Has the insurance company paid dividends without fail for over 100 years? Guys, these are key questions to be asking of your policy if you have one. Was the dividend variability fluctuating, showing that I've got risk in my insurance company? What about riders? Was there a paid-up additions rider offered through the premiums, or do I just get PUAs through my annual dividends once a year? What is the load cost on my paid-up additions rider? How does that compare with other whole life products out there? What are the paid-up addition limits and gotchas? Every insurance company lowers or reduces paid up additions, but is it done in a way where you are satisfied? Or is it going to reduce your paid up additions even if you don't want them to? Are there other riders available and attached to my policy to help accelerate cash value, like term riders, for example? If I miss a premium payment, are there any protections or what's going to happen to my guarantees? Was there a chronic illness rider 
or accelerated death benefit rider? And what are the limitations and what are the fees of those riders? Couple more here, guys. Taxes. Will this policy become a modified endowment contract or MEC, even if I don't want it to? Will both the principal and the gains be accessible tax-free under current law? These are all great questions to ask your uh, insurance agent. And if they don't know, that's a problem too. Okay, and speaking of the agent, is my agent captive or independent? Can he or she work with multiple companies or just show me the one company's products that he or she has available to him or her? Is my agent trained in all of the above questions or am I having to go around educating him or her in all of this? The agent's training and stability. How long has my agent been around in the business and will they be around for years to help me? And do they really know what they're doing here? And finally, and maybe most importantly, is my agent among the 200 Bank on Yourself professionals in good standing with Bank on Yourself or not? So that is a quite a laundry list of questions, but I wanted to read them off in verbal form. We will have them written up as well if you'd like them. And in the following episode, we are going to dive deeper into some examples and knockoffs to the Bank on Yourself concept that I've seen out there in the wild. Now, there are a few very important takeaways. The first takeaway is ask yourself if labels matter to you. Now, in my opinion, labels do matter. Now, at some level, they don't, right? No one is just uh, a, a certain label, but they do matter if there's a meaningful definition to the label applied. For example, I personally like to try to eat healthy food when I can, grown organically, grown sustainably when possible, and I've even researched what terms like all natural, organic, what those words actually mean when they're printed on a food label. And in my research, I've discovered the label natural means essentially nothing, (laughs) nothing. So when I'm choosing a can of soup or an energy bar at the grocery store, I know that the word natural has exactly zero meaning in the marketplace in terms of it being regulated for how it was grown and the ingredients included. If I'm looking for something that truly has merit to the label, I would only choose foods with a USDA organic seal proudly displayed. You know the one I'm talking about. It's like green and white and a circle. The foods labeled organic have to have at least 95% organically produced ingredients, and the other 5% has to be approved on the national list provided by USDA. It cannot be produced with any antibiotics, growth hormones, pesticides. There's this long laundry list of different things that the USDA regulates organic products. They're going to go through much more thorough investigation than they do other product labels. And hence, the foods labeled organic are much more likely to be, hey, what do you know, organic. who to thunk? Before certification of getting the organic label, they do on-site inspections. They look at that source ingredient. They have annual unannounced inspections showing up at the farm unannounced. If it's found that a product is being knowingly mislabeled, there's huge financial penalties. I like that. If you, like me, care that much about your cans of soup and your energy bars and your fruit snacks, how much more should you care about your financial future? Make sure that your financial professional you work with for this concept has gone through the rigorous training to be a bank-on-yourself professional. And make sure that they have that right label. Make sure that they're proudly wearing it. There are too many people out there who don't have a designation in this strategy. Do not fall for it. So that's 
maybe my first and biggest takeaway. Second, think carefully about where you get your ideas. Who's delivering the advice? If you brought this concept to your uncle who's in life insurance, please realize that almost assuredly you're going to know more about bank on yourself than he does. I am sure that your uncle or your buddy in high school who's now selling life insurance has a great heart and they want to help you. But this is a nuanced strategy that they don't teach you when you get your life insurance license. I've seen this before. When you speak with your uncle or your old high school buddy, he's going to have his own company he works with. He's going to make presentations about the life insurance company he represents. There's nothing wrong with that. That is his business. I am not in the business of educating other advisors who are not making bank on yourself their specialty. My hope is I serve each of you, our dear audience, and I'd love to do that for each of you. By the way, if you want to meet with us, if you're open to it, I'd be honored to review any policies you already have in force. If Larry, the heart surgeon turned life insurance agent, gave you a life insurance policy years ago and you want a second opinion, I don't charge a fee to do a comprehensive second opinion. There's no going back after heart surgery, right? And similarly, come at your financial future in a similar way. You cannot go back and fix a messed up financial plan halfway through your retirement. There's no going back. So I recommend getting at least two opinions as well. You can contact us by going to our website, nyafinancialpodcast.com, and click request a meeting. That's the best way. You can click on intro meeting. It's 15 minutes. We can do a Zoom call. Totally great, totally easy, or a phone call if you'd prefer. But click on that request a meeting button, and we'll go through the details and questions you might have around your existing policy. So let's talk about some uh, next steps. If you're not already a part of our revolution, the best and easiest way is to hop on our mailing list. And you can do that by going to our website, nyafinancialpodcast.com forward slash subscribe. That'll get you episodes delivered right to your inbox so you don't miss any of the amazing free content we're uh, handing out each and every week. It'll give you access to our Q&A with me, our esteemed guests, our live calls. This is the best way to stay abreast of everything that we're up to. And by the way, when you are just overwhelmed with how much awesome stuff you're getting from us, leave us a five-star review, (laughs) okay? And by the way, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast player, leave us that five-star review. And if you take a screenshot, we will send you a free book or Audible from our library of resources, absolutely free, and we'd be honored to do that. So with all that in mind, thank you for this week's episode, guys. Another episode is set on the shelf and ready to rock and roll for your financial future if you use it, if you implement it. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your advisors, your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.